We are back with Chunky Glasses, the podcast. Uh, this is episode number 73. Uh, this is with a band, an orchestral rock band out of Austin, Texas. It goes by the name Mother Falcon. Um, a heavy emphasis on orchestral. Uh, if you could imagine, uh, say you played instruments in high school. Uh, you were in the orchestra, you were in the band, you, you played in the musical like South Pacific, and you were in the pit or whatever, whatever you did. Uh, imagine that, uh, then now years later uh doing that in a full-on rock band doing things like interpreting radiohead's okay computer uh showing up uh npr tiny desk shows uh selling out shows up and down the east coast and you know everywhere uh touring as a 17-piece orchestra that's pretty much mother falcon uh they swing through town uh doing a run of east coast shows about a month and a half ago i believe and uh a couple of the guys were nice enough to come over, sit down, and have a talk with us. Um, I really wanted to talk with them about. Initially, I wanted to talk with them about the uh, their instrumentation because it's it's not traditional and it, it sort of pushes the envelope of, of what we can expect from a rock band. Uh, so, edu- and coming from that background myself, uh, you know, educational to the to general music listener. Uh, what I found out talking with them. Uh, was that there is a whole lot more to them than that. Um, we talk a lot on this show about working musicians and what that means. And, and I think the guys here in, in Mother Falcon, real, not only are they working musicians, but uh, they do a summer camp, uh, which we're going to talk about uh, in our conversation in a minute. But they, you know, they, they understand what they're doing and how they make a living. And then not only doing that, but giving back. And now trying to figure out how to sort of do both of these things uh, and and keep making their art, but also bringing up a new crop of of musicians to do uh, great work. It, you know, it's just that's that's why you, you make music. But at any rate, uh, I'm babbling at this point. Uh, this is episode number seventy three. Uh, this is with a couple guys from Mother Falcon from Austin, Texas. Uh, hope you like it. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter. One man. Nearly a two-word review. Just a shit sandwich. That right there is a lot of Let's, uh, I guess, start and go around, uh, introduce each of you uh, from, this is from Mother Falcon. Mm-hmm. Sitting here, do you have... Andrew Fontenot. Tamir Khalifa. Uh-huh. Sterling Stephan. Right. Evan Casper. All right. Um, you guys actually just released a video, like, a couple hours ago. Yes. yes. Is that, is that yeah. true? I literally yeah. was watching when I was, right. um, when, when I was walking up. Uh, what does the, what's the uh, Monsters Holding Hand at the end thing? 
Well, you know, the, it's, the significance of it is that, you know, we always think that, uh, you know, monsters terrorizing people are, uh, is a reason to destroy them mm -hmm. and completely obliterate them. But we don't really know what the monsters are thinking or why the monsters are doing what they do. You know, what if they're just trying to get from A to B? What if they're yeah. just trying to, you know, go, like, find some, find some food? And to them, the people might just be that food. Or they might just try to be getting to the woods. They might be trying to go in the bathroom. You never really know. But so the whole point is, is that, you know, it's the... Uh, in this case, the monsters aren't the monsters. The kids are the monsters. Yeah. The monsters are just trying to do their thing and be in love and be together. Nice. Have you, have you seen the movie Monsters? The movie Monsters? Yeah, so there's a movie called Monsters. The guy who directed the uh, remake of Godzilla. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Theaters. And that's actually the theme of the movie. I was oh. watching it. It's amazing because it's like this whole, like... Uh, Parts of most of Mexico is like shut off. It's quarantine, and like there are like these monsters roaming around. And then when you finally see the monsters at the end, it's a little more lascivious than that. They were just mating. They just, they just wanted to get it on. They're like, uh, yeah. "I love you, monster. I love you, monster. Let's do it." And then, yeah, just so happens <laughs> yeah. uh, people were getting their end, yeah. getting in their way. But uh, that was actually sort of the plot of Godzilla. But right. that's, yeah, that's what I get got from the new Godzilla. Yeah, yeah the two, the two. Uh, what was it the Mutos? Yeah, yeah. the Mothras. Yeah, whatever, yeah. yeah. Um, so you guys are uh, let's see, like one one hundredth of Mother Falcon. There's like, right. <laughs> there's like yeah. a million right. of them. There's seventeen of you guys. Uh, you're in town. Uh, you're doing a show at Artisphere yeah, on Arlington. Tuesday. Uh, mm -hmm. Are you guys just hanging out here for a while? Is yeah, well, the... um, so I grew up in, in Maryland. Uh -huh. I grew up in Kensington. And um, so my mom still lives. Uh, she still lives there. And so whenever we're kind of in the mid-Atlantic, we use her house as our home base. Mm -hmm. So a couple of us have been staying there for the past few days. And the rest of the band just joined today. But we've got a show in Philly tomorrow. And what's nice about... The location and you know being on the east coast is everything so close together that we can play a show in a place like philly and then just drive back home right afterwards and be yeah. you know get a good night's sleep and leave all our bags and stuff there because we travel in two uh cars that are barely large enough to fit all of us and all of our stuff so um yeah we get to hang out some of us went out and explored the national mall last night um nice. you know in the dead of night yet and yet it was still packed and crowded but you know that's kind of one of the only times that we really get a chance to explore anything on the road and I suppose yeah. that's sort of the plight of being on tour and you exchange the glory of the road and of being able to play shows for you know getting a chance to go out and see things during the day yeah so it's yeah kind yeah. of just live nocturnal lives exactly and and now for those who don't know you guys are 17 piece essentially sort of like the, an uber orchestra mm -hmm. um as somebody who uh came up through say an orchestra system as a child played a long time one thing I'm really interested in is, and it might be something you all latch into, like, at what point did you decide you're playing these these, these specific type of instruments, and you're talking about, like, woodwinds, violins, and all that stuff, and in your youth, it's a little more prone to uh, make you more susceptible to, like, say, getting wedgies. <laughs> when you can, there's a point where you can pick up a guitar, and like, or pick up drums, or whatever. When did you say, no, I'm going to stick with this, and then how do you get from there to, you know, essentially being a rock band, which is what you guys are now? Well, I think, again, in growing up in an orchestral or a symphonic system, that um, there is so much direct emphasis put on playing music on the page, mm -hmm. and at a certain point, I think all of us kind of realized that we had a desire to play the same instrument, we had a desire to play the instrument, but 
to do it in a less classical setting and to do do it outside of the realm of reading reading music off the page. Not to say anything bad against reading music off the page. Sure, it's sure. Incredible, but and we still do that fairly frequently mm-hmm. when we do collaborations and stuff. But um, the idea of taking your instrument and doing something with it that that you maybe aren't supposed to do or people don't yeah. think you should do with it um, or didn't think you could do with it is kind of what I think there's a little bit, at least a little bit of that in all of us. Just the commonality of, of wanting to do something more. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people like stop. They're like, you know, you're playing piano say, you can't play the Beatles. And then you just stop and then right. you never keep going. Um, but if you keep going, I think you do eventually land on that. You're like, well, what can I do with this? Because mm-hmm. like you said, you know, reading like Vivaldi Four Seasons, it, it's fascinating. To read that, but right. eventually, you know, you've played it a bunch of times, and you're like, okay, you know, right. and it gets to be this weird performance thing. Yeah, dude, actually, the winter movement from the Four Seasons is so awesome. It is. It's, it is so good. Yeah, the, I mean, the whole thing is good. I mean, it's the thing. No matter what part you're playing in yeah. it, it's just it locks together. But uh, and that's you guys sound uh, brings stuff that like compared to Vivaldi, but you know, brings a lot of that into it, and you can hear like. It, it's not just people picking up uh, a string instrument and be like, "I want to play a fiddle or something," right. you know, and I want to do this. It's it it sounds like uh, written out orchestral music, but like I said, doing something different with mm-hmm. it. Um, when you guys are, are like writing songs and stuff, is it is it more a like a doing something different with it, like jamming on stuff? Or is it more somebody's like composing all this stuff? Uh, it's kind of a democratic approach. It's mm-hmm. nothing that I've worked with before in any other bands, but um, everyone writes their own parts. Uh, usually about five or six people will get a couple riffs together and kind of loosely decide that, okay, these you know, several riffs, it can be the verse, it can be the chorus, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, and then eventually, once that skeleton is in place, then we bring it to the band as a whole and everyone puts their own parts on it. So one of the things that makes it so special for everyone in the band is that they all have artistic license on what they've been doing on it. Okay. They were never... I'm never told how to play how to play saxophone mm-hmm. parts, except for maybe by Sterling and the other horn players. Right. So maybe we maybe we do it together a little <laughs> right, bit more right, like right, this. Right. But um, for the most part, you, you have, like I said, artistic ownership and license over everything that you play, so it never really stagnates, because if you want to switch it, you wrote the part anyway, so mm-hmm. you can just change it up. But also, it's like, it's, every time is completely different. It's like there's... Every time we think we set a precedent, there's something else that comes along and, and seems to set another one to the point where it just kind of feels like this evolution where every additional song that we write is written in a very, very different way than the previous one. So, I mean, we've written songs in like a matter of hours before. Really? Like there was one time where Nick had been just like sitting on this chord progression in these lyrics and then it's a song called I Dream of Water, which we've actually reorchestrated for this tour. Oh, nice. um, and so now it's a completely different version of what was on the recording but for the original recording he was just like hey let's you know let's just jam this and it went from being a song with lyrics that were most some of many of which were his own um the lyrics were refined later but it went from just a progression a lyrics and lyrics and a vocal melody into a full song in a matter of like three hours and then and then we recorded it i think the next day or Holy two shit. days later mm-hmm. whereas another song um fireflies on alhambra took like a year to write mm-hmm. and sleep from the most recent record you knew also took like a year and it was a song that i started working with just with a progression on the piano and it went from you know all these different ideas 
uh, until it eventually settled into something that we were satisfied with. But that was one year later. And so it, you know, it, it changes every single time, but it also can be incredibly frustrating to have so many people that are, have creative input um, and are trying to, um, you know, assert their own uh, musical perspectives on things. So sometimes it works incredibly well, but mm -hmm. other times, uh, you know, it can just sort of clash um, and be dissonant and then we'll just let go and move on to something else and eventually come back. Um, so it's, but that's part of what makes it interesting and what makes it a really exciting process is that you can never really predict what's going to happen. And sometimes it feels like it's just depending on the, on the, the way that we all click and gel together. Sometimes it feels like it, it's, you know, depending on the weather or like something out there, it's just yeah. like when it clicks, it just clicks and it's incredible, yeah. but other times it doesn't. And that's okay. Cause it's part of the process. Right. Right. And I mean, with, with 17 people, in, I mean, some people like struggle with like f the egos of four people in a band. The fact that you guys have been doing this for what, four years now? Uh, six. Six, yeah. six years. The, the fact that you've been doing it that long, <laughs> it's looking like maybe, no, seven, no. Oh, yeah. uh, 2008. Is sort of amazing because, I mean, at some point, like, you, you guys do have to let go of all that. Mm -hmm. And like, this is the bigger thing. And we're gonna, just going to go forward with that. When you, um, how do you, how do you decide? Because with that number of people, you can go really big, really easy. How do you decide if something is going to be this super big thing, or if you're going to strip it down? And like, do you strip stuff down? Like when you're touring, just say you send two of you out. At that point. <clears throat> sort of feels like a matter of like self-discipline mm -hmm. musically like is this part needed am i am i really like do i have to play like there uh, there was a song called porcelain that we play uh where now most of us play on it but for the longest time and in the studio version it's mainly just the string section claire classical on her classical mm -hmm. guitar and drums and uh, there aren't any horns, I don't no, think. No, I don't so play, I play pedal steel, and there's no pedal steel on it. For the longest time, that's the way we were touring with it until we had to rearrange it for, for one reason or another. But um, at that point in time, it felt like the arrangement was complete. It wasn't necessary, so it's like you don't need to add. It's like just sort of right. like a, a thing where... As a musician, you reach a point, some, which is really good, where you know when not to play. Yeah. Um, which is a really important thing to know. So that's sort of my how I feel. I think a lot of that comes from back, having backgrounds in improvising mm -hmm. music, also, um, because you're having a conversation essentially, even within songwriting. Yeah. It's still a conversation. Um, it's just not real time necessarily, but. Um, if you've got strong roots and being able to improvise freely with other musicians in a group, I think that that influences your strong songwriting. So, do you think because um, you guys are from Austin, mm -hmm. how much of just the way that scene is do you think plays into you guys being able to do what you do? Like, you think you could do it anywhere? No, I I don't think so. I mean, and I say that because I feel like I'm an I'm an outsider. Mm -hmm. I'm one of two people that's in the current touring lineup that's not from Austin I mean I grew up just and I mean, all, yeah I mean and just from Fredericksburg so I guess um, it's I'm born in Connecticut oh okay yeah, alright well <laughs> <laughs> but you were in but you, but you spent a significant yeah. amount of time in Austin yeah yeah um, but I think that there's there's a certain um, 
mindset in Austin that's really imparted by the generations above us, by the parents that have sort of set this infrastructure for there being a very creative and collaborative community. And so, I mean, it's it's just crazy how many people you meet that play mm-hmm. music um, and kids that play you know, the kids that play music and how many programs there are to encourage young people to play music and be creative in playing. Um, and there was nothing, uh, I didn't see anything like that when I was growing up. I played clarinet and saxophone in elementary and middle school and it never really, you know, we never really had people right. come into our classrooms and talk about, uh, you know, there was just never, that, it didn't feel like there wasn't much outreach um, and a much of a community that really supported and encouraged um, a collaborative sense of creativity, not necessarily in music, but in art altogether. And I think Austin has is really strong yeah. uh, in that department. That being said, though, I also think that there's something new on the rise. It's not the Austin of the 70s. Oh, no, 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 no. It's a way different animal, you know. Yeah. I mean, and you can tell by the music that we're writing and playing. It's it's a completely different sound. My family grew up there and has been in the country scene. and Yeah. We've... Andrew and I play in blues bands and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually something I, was, I wanted to ask. Like, do you guys play outside Mother Falcon? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of yeah. yeah, me and Sterling gig in five, four bands. <laughs> four bands. <laughs> and seven, Evans and... Playing a bunch of different bands. Yeah. 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 But that's kind of the thing to do in Austin. Like, we were talking about yeah. this collaborative nature of Austin. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that Mother Falcon could not have thrived somewhere else. Yeah. But Mother Falcon would have never come to be somewhere else because... Right. There is this collaborative nature, and it's large enough, and there's enough emphasis on performance. Like, you know, we call ourselves live music capital of the world. Mm -hmm. There's enough emphasis on that that people are um, not pushed into, but there's a lot of people in the music scene, a lot of really strong musicians, but it's not so crazy as, like, say... New York City, where all the great musicians are booked up every single day. Yeah. Like, they, they really, um, it's hard to get those guys in because they're so busy, because mm-hmm. the scene's so gigantic that there's not enough people to go around. Whereas in Austin, it's like, you, we have more venues than any city in the world, but there's still too many, <laughs> you know, there's still so many musicians that some of them don't. Yeah, so. I mean, in my, in my experience, there's been that, like, you people go there not necessarily, like, they don't go there to play music. But right. they, they they all like you said they hang. Ha- they hang, but they yeah. all can, right. and they yeah. all like yeah, right. maybe have been in a band, maybe have been in a famous band. I mean, Which is uh, good or bad? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 <laughs> but eventually, you know, because like the idea, like that, you know, you you might meet somebody just playing clarinet wandering around the street. Like that's not that's gonna literally how we yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not uh, that that should be the way it is because uh, I think a lot of people did learn growing up how at least have some exposure to like the music program or something but it's just not right and if you go down there and you know that happens and it's like so you guys just met like walking in the street oh yeah i used to busk on uh and just make money by playing accordion on the street like right outside of the ut campus yeah and yeah nick came up one day and he was just like oh you should come to rehearsal and it's like all right dude. he was walking by and he saw him and he said wow that guy sounds pretty good like if he's still here when i'm walking back to where i'm coming from then i'm gonna ask him to play in mother falcon and sure enough he was still there and, yeah yeah, I mean, it took like three more chance encounters for me to actually go to a rehearsal, but right. it was like the first of many. But what was, what's really funny about that actually is that uh, when I first got to uh, UT, I came from the Czech Republic. I lived okay. there for a year, and that's where I picked up my first accordion. Um, and I was just really into a lot of Eastern European music and very symphonic um, Eastern European music that incorporated brass and um, 
and woodwinds and string instruments and all sorts of crazy percussive elements. And I was like, man, when I get to Austin, I want to like start a band like that. That'd be so cool. And then I met this dude who was a photographer, and I was looking at his Flickr page, and I saw somebody else that had started this band. I was like, oh, damn it. Mm-hmm. Like somebody else has a band with cellos and violins yeah. and a mandolin. And it's like, man... Oh well, maybe I'll just do something else. And then I ended up being in that band. And I was like, <laughs> yes, this is awesome. Right. <laughs> um, See, so you guys also run a camp. Is that, is that yeah, correct? Yeah. Uh, how long have you been doing the camp? Uh, this will be the third year. Third year. Mm-hmm. And is it everybody's involved? Almost, almost part, everybody. Yeah. Everybody that yeah. doesn't have last a nine year to five. it was yeah. only one week. Uh, this year we expanded it to two weeks. Nice. So. There and and the enrollment has gone up and all of that, so we've been able to pull in everybody. Last year, we kind of were surprised by the amount of turnout that we got, and, yeah. and it, it sold out of our what our expectations were really early on. Yeah, the first year we had nine campers, and the second year we had thirty six. Holy shit! And so this, this year, year, this year we, we have yeah. two sessions of over forty. Good yeah, Lord. I think we already so, have like fifty registered or something yeah. like that. So, um, so it's just been growing. Thank God enough that, that yeah. we can actually can. We have the funds and we have the the um, the spaces to put everybody in, um, where that wasn't really true in years past. But again, like it's his third year and it's it's growing so rapidly that we're just kind of still trying to hold on and be like, oh, wait a second, you know, yeah, I mean, make sure I, we're doing this right. And I mean, it, what's the age range is from eleven to eighteen. Yeah. Eleven to eighteen, so it's pretty good. mainly middle school, um, and then they're grouped by age into bands, and then we kind of let them just kind of write a song. Yeah, we make we try not to group them by experience because we don't want any sort of, um, you know, technical or any sort of right. anybody anybody to get a sense of musical superiority because really everyone has something different to offer and so age is you know seems to make the most sense because those people are probably better able to communicate with one another. Yeah. So in the motto, we had a we had a band <clears throat> most of I think everyone in it was high schoolers, mm-hmm. really and re- some really strong musicians. Mm-hmm. The saxophone player in the band just. Uh, what one we made all state jazz made all state jazz and Texas, and yeah, Texas yeah, nice. which is not a small deal at all. Uh, on alto saxophone too, Just which is not <laughs> not a small deal. Um, and uh, and so you know, the reasonable good. logic would say you know that that band is really gonna like oh band like watch out for that one. But I'll tell you like the band of like eleven year olds was mm-hmm. awesome. I mean it was just like yeah. they, they were really. Like acting potential, yeah. Like they yeah. Really like really, it was, yeah. I was really, really, honestly shocked to see how good the bands were throughout all the ages. Yeah, yeah. I mean, part of what we really try to do is, I mean, the motto of the camp is musicality over technicality. So the way the camp is structured is, you know, the campers come in and get to know each other. We split, we split them up into bands. Um, and then they go through all sorts of different sort of classes and seminars, and it touches not just on, mu- on music and the collaborative aspect of music, but also on other components of what of being in a band. So you mm-hmm. touch on you know like interpersonal dynamics and aesthetics <laughs> and how to you know how to think of yourself, think of a band as a whole holistic element rather than just this yeah. musical entity. So it's like you know the album cover and your band photo and what you wear on stage is a visual representation of the music and so it was really cool to see the kids like really taking that to heart and mm-hmm. one of the things we do is everybody comes up with a logo and a band name um, this year we're going to get to do a screen printing class and a live sound class and, yeah. yeah and so like during, and during the shows you had you know all these kids who were trying new things musically but yeah. also incorporating these aesthetic ideas into the way that they presented their themselves so they were all wearing you know everybody had like some sort of uniform or they were wearing the t-shirts that they made one band chose to turn off all the lights and have glow sticks <laughs> you know it's just really cool to see them like trying these new things yeah. that were very clearly a result of uh 
of the class of the camp. Do you guys prefer? By the way, that's fucking awesome. You guys are doing... No, I mean we we talk a lot about like what musicians not should be doing, but can be doing to like make it mm-hmm. beyond just writing a good song because that that's where it starts. You have right. to if you don't have a good song, you probably you, you might get somewhere, but you're not going to stay there for long. Right. And see you guys who are, are out touring and stuff, but then also doing this and like sort of enriching the community. I mean, that's just. It's fucking awesome. Well, I mean, getting back to Austin, like, that's yeah. what I think Austin has done for many of the people that are in the band. I mean, mm-hmm. not for me because I didn't grow up there, but I get the residual benefits of that. But in, in Maryland, I had, I mean, I'm a photographer and a videographer, mm-hmm. and I've had mentors and people that have taken me under their wing at a very young age. So I understand how important that it is to do that to other, to do that to other people and to share that, the knowledge that you've acquired with, with people that are yeah. younger. And in Austin, there's an incredible group of musicians, many who are like powerhouse classical piano players like Graham Reynolds who's classical and jazz and Peter Stopshinsky um, who's just ex- an extraordinary uh, pianist and they have a group called the Golden Hornet uh, trio mm-hmm. um, the Golden Hornet project and much of what they do is is all community based and they and they individually go out and will work with um, like the Austin Chamber Music Center or work with schools and they'll and they'll have quartets of eighth graders play some of their compositions and one of those quartets happened to be three of the members that are now in Mother Falcon and wow. so Graham and Peter have sort of mentored some of the Mother Falcon players from a very young age and have I think uh, been one of the um, motivating forces behind playing the music playing music in a different way or wanting to be original wanting, wanting to make original compositions and wanting to collaborate in a way that goes beyond a page so I, I, th- I feel like it's just it's kind of natural for us to do that in Austin because Austin has done so much to us, yeah. and now it feels important to mm-hmm. give it, pay it forward. And in doing that, it all, we also learn a tremendous about, amount about ourselves and about music and about what we believe because so much of this band is a philosophical conversation about art and music mm-hmm. and aesthetics. And you know when we so when we're thinking about a curriculum, it's like all we're just having these debates all the time. So it's really solidifying well, the way you that get we to feel try stuff out. <laughs> you get to experiment on kids. That sounds horrible. You get to try stuff out on kids, but I mean that that really is it. You throw something at the wall and be like, "I've had this idea. Let's see what somebody else mm-hmm. can do with it." And like, and and do you, do you prefer that role uh, to? Going out and say like, doing this tour that you're not doing now and just playing like it's different. I it's mean, way different. Tour is yeah. the dream life, right? I mean, like every yeah. musician kind of wants to go hit the road. Well, most at least. Yeah. Um, but I like I am a teacher in my like in my profession. That's what I do. I'm a substitute teacher in Austin. And I've also didn't, been a private lesson teacher. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. still installed and a couple people in the band that have taught. And um, and so it's, I, I think that teaching the camp is probably more rewarding. Mm-hmm. Then even really like going on tour, playing in front of a bunch of people is always nice, and going to see new cities and spread the music is really great. But uh, there's something individually rewarding about teaching kids and like getting to share that experience with them yeah. of like them growing. Uh, that you, I mean, you won't get playing rock clubs, right? Yeah, you just, yeah. it's just a completely different thing, you know. Yeah. So you, you so. can if you engage. <clears throat> I, for me, it's it's about fifty fifty, honestly. Really? Yeah, I I think that being out in the city, in new cities and new places that you've never been, there is that capacity to go out and meet people and figure out what that town is about 
And that's, I think that's just equally as enriching as teaching kids. And I really enjoy teaching a lot and I do learn from them. I mean, it's crazy when you, when you're trying to explain a concept to a kid and then they just get it and they, they say it in a different way that you never thought about. And you're like, holy crap. You're smart. Like I've never even, I, I've thought about this for like six or seven years. And in that 30 seconds of you thinking about it, you said something that I've never thought about. Mm -hmm. So that's great. But that also comes from talking to, I mean, I hung out in central park yesterday and ran to homeless people and guys who were hawking tickets for the skyline thing. And they all had great stuff to say. So I don't know. It's, it's just, if you put yourself out there when you're on tour, you can mm-hmm. meet some really cool people and, and it enriches your life. But And you can yeah. learn a lot. Yeah, and you can learn a lot from those people. And a lot of that then influences, you know, the way that we go back and approach music. Yep. And then the way that we also teach kids, teach the campers. And yeah. one of the cool things about being on the road is that people start to hear about us, uh, you know, doing educational outreach and wanting to go out and you know, work with people in the community. And so we start getting gigs along the way, like going to elementary schools or middle schools mm-hmm. or high schools or, or like after school programs. Yeah. So, you know, we did that in San Diego. We've done that. Um, didn't we do that? We, we, did we do this on, on this tour yet? We haven't done that. Yeah. No, we did in Louisville. Though. Yeah, in Lu- yeah, co- yeah. Yeah. We okay. played in, in, uh, in Louisville, um, Kentucky as part of this um, kind of TED Talk style festival called the DFS. Performing Arts Elementary School in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. And it's awesome. It's right? insane. Really? I mean, it's, yeah. It's so good. Yeah. So we just went in there and did a session for the elementary school kids. And then we did, uh, the next morning we went to a middle school. Mm-hmm. And then a couple hours later we went to a science center and did a mm-hmm. whole mm-hmm. session for not just music, musical kids, but just, you know, anybody that was there for right. that day. And so it's really cool to be able to take, you know, kind of like a melding of both both worlds. Yeah. It's like the educational component and being on the road because we could do that stuff during the day and then at night we get to go mm-hmm. and, you know, play in front of people. And on... It's a- kind of cap this off is that the the hopeful long-term goal is to actually be able to take the camp on the road with yeah, us on tour. Yeah, that, that was... Um, and we've gotten interest from, like, the places that we've done already in Louisville and, and San Diego and that kind of place. But, it, I mean, we we basically... You don't even have to stop playing shows. Right. Like, you have to maybe get a little bit earlier shows because the camp starts early, but... Yeah. And you can only really do it in the summer, but... That would be, I mean, you literally, you get to do both, and that's, it's a reasonable possibility, we just gotta, you know, not quite there yet. I think after this year, with the success we're seeing right now, that that will probably become more likely, but, but it's, I mean, if we could do that, then that would be... Yeah, I mean, and then you're just combining both of them, right. and then yeah, just doing both all the time, you know, so. can really put them together. What kind of, uh, what's the general makeup of the crowds you bring in right now? It totally varies. I mean, it really, it almost, I think it really depends more so on the venue. uh, Because if we play an all ages show, then we'll have people of all ages there. But Mm -hmm. if it's 21 and up, then, you know, that just kind of makes a decision for you. But we we played in a universal, Unitarian Universalist church Mm -hmm. uh, in, um, where was that? Peacedale, Rhode Island. Peacedale, Rhode Island. About 30 minutes south of Providence. And, uh, And it was, I mean, mainly. Easily over 35, 40. Mm-hmm. And then Probably. some high school kids, too. Yeah, and then some, and then a couple, like, high school and middle school age yeah. kids. I mean, it was like, there was literally nobody in between, yeah. seemingly. Yeah. It was like, you were either <laughs> under 18, or you were, like, over 50. But that's, I mean, that's what really drew me into the band, and I, I was a fan of Mother Falcon before I was actually lucky enough to get in it. 
but what always struck me about it was that like I've talked to eight year olds that were all about it, and I've talked to eighty year olds that were all about it, yeah. like in different ways, obviously. But that's yeah, that's well, one of the most rewarding like things. Well, the, the music just—I mean, <laughs> take take the mode of what you're doing, and then but pair it with the music, and you do cover like a wide gamut of how people are going to appreciate it. Right. If you grew up only listening to classical music, and you like you said you're eighty. You can put this on, you'd be like, oh, that's actually good. If you grew up like listening to indie rock, like, I mean, you guys like reinterpreted, okay, computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you'll latch onto that. And there's something to, you know, mm-hmm. seems to be like a little something for everybody in it, which um, is sort of fascinating. With mm-hmm. speaking of the okay computer thing, like, that seems to be uh, almost like a gauntlet for a lot of bands. <laughs> like, <laughs> not many put it out, but uh, there was like a, there's a band in Richmond called Devil's Workshop about, like, 12 years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Similar setup, much smaller. Um, they never, they didn't ever take on all of OK Computer, but they did take on songs, and it was in, it was insane. And, I mean, it, it was in the same... It was very different from what you guys did, but it, it definitely was in the same spirit. When, what, when did you decide to, like, take that on? Was it just... We decided... Well, let's see. We did that... December 2012 yeah for sure the summer and so probably six months before that we had decided you know let's do an album we were gonna yeah we were gonna cover a full album put it on a show put it on the web you know put it on YouTube see if we can get some Mm -hmm. some notoriety out of it or whatever one of the I mean we were thinking about doing Ziggy Stardust we were thinking for a second about doing uh, Nevermind by Nirvana. I mean, we had some like crazy ideas, and we were trying to. Oh shit! If you guys do Purple Rain, I will fly to Austin. <laughs> I will probably die in the process. Yeah, uh, acute joy. So it was this kind of. It was actually really a, kind of a fun, like interesting debate that went on because it was. It was trying to quantify the importance of these albums, mm-hmm. and like you didn't want it to be anything too recent. Yeah. Regardless of how mind blowing it was, but he didn't want it to be something so far gone that that the uh, that young people wouldn't, you know, like high schoolers and middle schoolers mm-hmm. wouldn't still be able to like kind of grasp the, what the band was. Even if high schoolers haven't weren't around when OK Computer came out, they still know Radiohead, and most of them yeah. have heard the album. I mean, it's it's you know, but um, there's this interesting concept of like, well, you know, this, and then on top of that, because we originally were going to do Kid A. Because mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of us felt that there was so much ambiance and just crazy, um, yeah, kind of outside the box stuff on that album that it would be perfect for us because we could take it even farther outside of the box. Um, but I thought that choosing OK Computer and kind of staying with the more like classic kind of rock album ended up being really perfect because then when we did take it outside the box, it it was completely different. Yeah, and I mean, what, I mean, part of the reason that album I think works is because it, I mean, at the time it was way out of the box, mm-hmm. um, and it like besides the obvious of looking for like I guess historical relevance and like impact of what you're looking for, working through that. What did you find stuff in that that you could latch onto that maybe you didn't know was there? Like holy shit, like they're doing this. Yeah, there are certain parts that are brought out when you dissect a song that you never noticed before like layers that mm-hmm. are there and have been there forever like in um paranoid android there's a lot of really crazy uh like soundscapey stuff that mm-hmm. Johnny Greenwood does with his guitar 
yeah. you know, sort of mixed into the song and in the mix on the album, sort of blends in with everything else. And when we are picking apart a song and assigning parts or picking out parts for ourselves, um, when someone starts playing, like Maurice, our violinist, does a killer Johnny Greenwood uh, impersonation on his violin <laughs> uh, on that particular song that brings out parts that I never even kind of never even thought about more than once you know right. like just noisy kind of stuff that yeah. is textural that when covered on a different instrument and picked out and uh, and all of a sudden it pops out exactly yeah, yeah. but also so. just like a lot of those songs are just really really simple and and it's kind of like sh actually shocking how simple they are and then it just makes you realize like kind of you know the basic bare bones of what makes a really strong song are chords melody and lyrics and that's how we that's essentially how we approached the interpretation of the album is we were we said that okay like two of these things need to be the same in every one like two out of those three components and lyrics was almost mm -hmm. often one of them so we changed the melody and chords for uh, around for some of them but really everything after that we just kind of put in ourselves and we about half the band was familiar with the album and i would say a quarter of the band was really really into it and so the way that we approached it was more in line with the way that we write our own music. Mm -hmm. And so it was um, basically four of us. I was one of the four. Um, they basically sat down and, and decided how, like, basically the bare bones structure might be, just as a suggestion. So we each, you know, we each took, um, like, three, three songs. And then we all learned it together, just pretty much the rhythm, rhythm section. Uh, so that we could then play it with play it with everybody, and once we brought it to the table, everyone kind of riffed off of what we had presented to them without listening to the original recording. So that's why there are a lot of things there that are pretty different from the the album. But it's not necessarily an attempt to be different to be different. It's just that's what people thought of, and that's what it, well, it felt. It sounds natural. like it sounds like Mother Falcon. I mean, it's certainly like people have, have like reinterpreted albums for like decades. You know, they have, there's the whole picking on series, yeah. which you know, you put it on whatever. That's great and stuff. But this, this is not that. This is like you guys taking it on as, you know, maybe name Mother Falcon, but this bigger like entity of musicians being like, we're going to tackle this and, um, and yeah, I mean, it, it sounds unique. If if you aren't familiar with the album and you hear it, you might just be like, oh, that's a Mother Falcon album. Yeah, <laughs> like, which is I mean it's weird to say because uh, like yeah I'm one of Radiohead's biggest fans back in the day but you know time marches on and, <laughs> you know that'll always be there but now this will always be there and stuff are you guys planning on doing that with any other albums or it's kind of the original idea when we did it was to do like a big like a big Christmas season show and I think the original idea was basically to do something similar to that like cover a different album every year mm-hmm but then the radio things started taking off so quickly that eventually um, we started touring and playing it up here last June um, at Joe's Pub and we did it in Burlington, Burlington and a couple yeah, other places. Other places yeah. Just ended up ended up doing it for basically like two years and without even really you know thinking about it. So we finally did our last running of it uh, yeah, a couple months ago, yeah. and, uh, and we still play. Airbag, and we'll still bust out no surprises or one, you know, a couple of the songs on it. Um, but I, I would love, I would love to do another one. I had an idea of doing 
uh, like a walk through the ages of hip hop oh, and like get be... a bunch of Austin MCs to come and we could, you know, recreate all the beats. And well, I mean, it's an, it wouldn't have to be covering an album yeah. per se, but I, I would like to keep doing stuff like well, that. And yeah, it kind of keeps us fresh in our writing. I think just like being able to interpret another artist's work is just is really important to the growth process. We actually covered uh, uh, another seminal album by, uh, I believe it was Igor Stravinsky. <laughs> we did uh, Rite of, Rite of Spring, mm -hmm. uh, as interpreted by Peter Stapczynski, who is one of the um, composers and Austin um, staples that we mentioned earlier. But he, So, you know, this is the same guy that uh, taught some of the members early on in middle school, and he decided one day that he was going to make um, his own interpretation of the Rite of Spring for the Centennial, which was last year. And so he spent every day of South by Southwest, rather than going out and raging and doing all that madness, interpreting a different movement for solo piano. So there are, I think, nine movements in total. Um, and so we played the first five with him. And so he, he arranged it initially for solo piano, then he arranged it for uh, a percussion ensemble, which is just so, so cool. So it was like this weird, de not degradation, but this weird transformation of it where he took it from, from orchestral piece and put it solely on piano. And then kind of like what we did with Radiohead, mm -hmm. he took that piano arrangement and arranged that and built for a percussion ensemble. There, yeah. And then from the percussion ensemble, specifically based on the percussion ensemble, rewrote it for an orchestra. And he said basically by the end of that process, he was like, do you think this will work with an orchestra? Yeah. And he was like, what, what am I talking about? Is, is how, is how, it was, how it was made. I mean, it's like, yeah. How it's supposed to go. So by the time we got our hands on it, it had been... Like almost completely changed in yeah. some places. It's the same thing as the Radiohead album. Some yeah. places it's like pretty literal, you know. And then in some places you're like, "What is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what? Was, <laughs> I mean, it's, oh God, it's. So, I wish we could play that again. It was so much fun. But the way that Peter approached it was just so so fascinating because, first of all, I mean, in his words, he says that it was like classical music and on a barroom piano, mm -hmm. and and you can kind of see how that all that how the piece reflects it because I mean, you listen to Right of Spring, and it is such an intensely textured and layered piece. And so, what Peter did was he basically made the he basically arranged it in a way that would sort of focus on individual melodies and individual parts mm -hmm. throughout. So it'd be like if somebody was humming the Rite of Spring to you from start to finish, which melodies would they choose? Yeah. And so that's kind of how what everything was sort of built out of. And I mean, it gets like very intense and very layered, but certainly not in the cacophonous way of the original right, piece. And in right. doing that, it, it really shows how dynamic Stravinsky's original composition was because for every individual melody that happens in the original piece, there are like five others that are going on simultaneously. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I mean, there's a thing too that like people hear music very differently, and you experience it like differently than like I experience it or something and stuff. And that seems like it would draw out like maybe how somebody else heard it. Mm -hmm. it certainly drew out how he heard it, you know, and he was interpreting and stuff. But then you get the chance to do that, and then it it makes it uh, it can make something. Like old, just completely new and, and invigorating again. Mm -hmm. um, with with you guys doing stuff like that and doing stuff, uh, the camp and then Mother Falcon. Have you ever, as like a unit, been like we're going to like just back this project? We're going to be the. You have done that, or, oh, or yeah. you, you wanted to do that? like a backing band? Yeah, yeah. essentially, we're doing that. We're right doing now. that next week. Yeah, oh, yeah? Uh, Sunday, Joe's Pub. We're backing up. Um, this guy named Kelly Pratt, and he's an amazing trumpet player and with Beirut, horn ranger, yeah. Fire yeah. And horn ranger. So, 
Where is backing band? They also arranged the horn nice. parts for the uh, St. Vincent and David Byrne album. Oh. And one of the horn parts I've ever heard in my or life. Or reading so. music. Reading music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> it's all there. music. Yeah. Uh, well, we're up about... I guess 45 minutes or so. Uh, thank you guys so much for yeah, coming down here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, that seemed really quick. Yeah. yeah. Wow. yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if there's anything else you want to talk about, we can we can keep going. But uh, Well, I mean, there is one thing that I'd like to say. Yeah. Um, and that's just that... Um, I love you guys. Oh, <laughs> I just want to say, don't mind. He's going to hear it now. It's like, just, the thing you said about ego. <laughs> <laughs> we got we to have a talk here. <laughs> no, but just the one thing, we kind of started to mention this, but we didn't really get... We were able to get into it, but like every tour is really different mm-hmm. and because it all. I mean, there's so many members, and you know, everybody always jokes about the size of the band, but um, it's it is it has been extremely difficult to maintain uh, the size because it's it's crazy to get you know 17 people schedules yeah. in line. So in last June, June 2013, we had 17 people in New York, 16 on stage, and one sound guy. And there's always a our sound guy Ryan with us. Um, and then the tours have been sort of getting a little bit smaller and smaller, but I mean it's still bigger than most bands that you yeah. know, are tour. So right now we've gone, so we went from seventeen and or sixteen in June to right now we're at twelve on stage, and so that poses an, a very interesting challenge for us as a band, and that is how are we going to proceed with this music when it was written for um, you know all these people that aren't there at the moment, and so w- the result is that we've taken some of these songs that had integral parts that were played by people that are on tour and just reinterpreted them and the result is songs that are completely different they maintain basically the same chord progressions right. uh, melody and lyrics but other than that I mean they are like different songs and so that's there are a couple songs in this tour that we're playing that are that are exactly like it but yeah it's just part of the I think the growth and evolution of the band is we've realized that touring is a very integral part but it's also something that not everybody can do and mm-hmm. so it's you know, every tour, I feel like we well, evolve in a different and way. And that, that specific type of evolution, I think, is, is like fascinating because most people in in a, a band, in an indie rock band, if you want to put that label on, will be like, "We are concerned about our brand, and we have to do this." And like you guys are saying, there's fluctuation. I mean, this is the reality of the industry and stuff. Mm-hmm. Stuff is going to have to change, and trusting like your audience to actually come along with you, and they will, um, because when you when you see I think somebody willing to take those risks, and that is a risk. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the people who really care about it are, are going to be like, shit, yep, that's our band. We don't give a fuck what they do. Mm-hmm. We're just going to go with it. Yeah, I mean, I always kind of think of it as less, it's it's the, a number of people doesn't make it symphonic. I think the arrangements do. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. So, I mean, it's obviously, you know, when we're during South by, we played with 17 people, and it was amazing it was a little loose because some of the players hadn't been with us for for a while but it was still incredible like that was like the full force and and like grandiose sweeping sound but the what we're doing now is you know it's it's another aspect of it that mm-hmm. is different but i still get still gets to the same ethos and the same core of, of what we're trying to do so you know when we're it's just that's the cool thing about the band, I think, is that it's kind of different for us yeah. wherever we go. And so it's always fresh and there's always something new that's happening. And every tour, it used to be every show was different because we couldn't always get people in Austin mm-hmm. to come to the same shows. Now it seems that every tour is different. And that's, I think, very refreshing for all of us. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, Absolutely. thanks a lot, man. This was really fun. And then, uh, this won't go out before the show, but we will put something out. Everybody should go awesome, see the atmosphere. So. Perfect. Thank, Thank you very cool. much. Thank you again. Thanks. Yeah. Bye.
So there was uh, Mother Falcon. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I know I did uh, learn some stuff, uh, really, and, uh, you know, Faith Restored a little in, in the state of modern music, actually. Uh, I think what they're doing with that summer camp and the idea of, of even traveling that around. So, so they're going to be touring, and then they're, they're going to be in an area for a couple weeks and do that. That, that is so uh, fantastic. I don't need to tell you why it's fantastic. Um, uh, you know, music is such an important part of our education and it, and it's uh it's good to see people who and especially like young people like these i don't think any of these guys are out of their 20s yet uh recognizing uh that they can give back to their community as much as uh as much as they draw from it and and so it was really great so thanks again to the guys of mother falcon uh we're gonna put some links up i know they just finished up a summer camp but we're gonna get a little more info for you on when they're gonna be doing it again uh if you're in austin and can catch them, uh, please do. Uh, they play, as like they were saying, in bands all over town and stuff. At any rate, uh, that is our podcast for this week. Thank you again, as usual, for listening. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes if you like. If you are Internet-enabled, you can listen to us on Stitcher Radio. Uh, we will be back in about a week with um, Andre's last podcast. So, Andre's going away. Uh not too far. Well, yeah, actually really fucking far. Uh, another continent. Uh, but he just won't be in touch as much. So uh, look forward to that. And then uh, we will talk to you soon.